Welcome into another edition of Battle Plans, brought to you in part by Royal Farms. Start your day every day with the area's freshest coffee from Royal Farms. There simply is no better coffee than a Royal Farms coffee. Also, be sure to sign up for Rofo Rewards at roforewards.com or download the Royal Farms app today and start earning points for free stuff. Everybody likes free stuff. Hey, guys, how are you? We're good. Good, good thanks, Tony. Happy New Year, guys. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to all, all, all of our listeners as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking with James Ogden, the author of Battle Plans throughout the 2021, the tumultuous 2021 season. And of course, <laughs> his steady sidekick, Dev Panchois. James is the guy that has the funny voice, but everybody knows that by now, right? Exactly. And I've got a, I've got a, Really funny voice because if you listen to me enough, you'll hear me say quarterback at times, and you know you, you hear me drop into like slight American Americanized versions of um, of, of words, well, iced with a Z, seen, with a Z. During, sorry. During your visit here, you were you were in the states for what close to three weeks? Yeah, a couple of weeks in the end. Yeah. Okay, so when you returned home, did your friends say you got Americanized at all? The, the problem is it happens anyway, just because I, I talk to, to so many of you guys outside of work. It just, I think I've mentioned before the amount of times I've said, I've had to stop myself from, from saying process in a, uh, in a, in a, in an English work meeting, they all look at me funny and say, what's the process? Um, I have to go back to process. <laughs> We don't want you being uh, called a fraud now. <laughs> <laughs> Root's the worst one because that's route for you guys. And I just, route is, I, I, whenever I use that word, I always am saying wide receiver route. Um, so whenever I have to, on the rare occasions, use it over here, it's like, what on earth is a route? So James, you're in what town in England right now? Uh, so I live in Nottingham in England, okay. um, which now, is a little town in the Midlands. Okay, city. when you... When you guys celebrate New Year's, do you, like in, in America, we watch the ball drop. Everybody puts on the TV and they watch the ball drop from Times Square. What do you do? <laughs> so there's definitely not the kind of like big tradition with there's a there's a show on TV that's like live music, but I think it's recorded like three weeks before Christmas. So some people watch that. There's you might turn the TV on and have uh, watched the fireworks at the the London Eye, um, which is the big wheel in, in London. Um, this year I was in Copenhagen actually um, and got to experience a Danish New Year, which was which was crazy. There was like fireworks all over the city, <laughs> everywhere from like from about twelve o'clock in the afternoon, about one o'clock in the afternoon, all the way through till the early hours of the morning. That is awesome. So you have another strange, or not, not that that's strange, but you have a, a, a tradition that is foreign to America or Americans in the form, and it's called Boxing Day. And the only reason I know about it, because I'm such a huge fan of the Beatles, and I remember them always talking about the day they released Magical Mystery Tour was on Boxing Day. And I had to look that up back then when I first heard it. But explain to our listeners what Boxing Day is. Yeah, it's the uh, day after Christmas, after Christmas Day, uh, where everybody is off work. It's uh, it's uh, what we call a bank holiday over here where nobody works. And uh, 
it's a strange day. It's a day that's um, it's great as a kid because you've opened all your presents and you you get to play with them on on Boxing Day after everybody's gone gone home from from family Christmas days. Uh, and it's uh, I don't I don't know the origins of it. I, I was reaching into the depths of my brain for it. I think I think basically it's it was a a day where people used to give um you know give to the poor basically after opening all their presents on on christmas day i also think there was some kind of something about a maybe tradesman i think going around with with christmas boxes i i don't know it's very vague most brits now just see it as the day after christmas day and it's an it's an extra day off work that's the i didn't know if that was an actual boxing match (laughs) or something when you brought it up uh, Do you know up, the, uh, front Tony uh, offline. <laughs> the the best thing about it, Dev, is that um, Boxing Day is quite a sporting day. Like there'll be a full um, full fixture, full full list of soccer games on on Boxing Day, and so it is quite a quite a sport filled day, which is pretty cool. Okay, guys, let's get into. We're going to do a, a slightly different version of battle plans today because we're all familiar with the Steelers. We'll, we'll touch down on some things that may have changed since the last time we talked about the Steelers in terms of their offense and defense. But I, I want to recap the Ravens game with the Rams and, and focus in on both the offense and defense. Now, offensively, the Ravens struggled in the red zone. They were 0 for 2, and they were 0 for 2 in goal-to-go situations. And I know that John Harbaugh was really frustrated with that because they had to settle for these chip shot field goals instead of having a chance at scoring touchdowns. And had they been successful in just one of those goal to go situations, we're talking about a Ravens team with a much better chance to enter the postseason, you know, and and make it uh, make their stake in the playoffs. But having said that, and I'll start with you, Dev, just looking at Greg Roman, and how he handled the red zone, specifically the goal-to-go situation. Talk about your observations there and what maybe he could have done slightly differently. Yeah, I think uh, he, he played a little bit more conservatively. It's kind of the way I saw that. I don't know if that – I mean, they got on a roll running the football in that final – drive before Matt Stafford took over and eventually led the game winning drive. And that was the key drive that could have sealed the game. And I, I thought, you know, they, they did a good job pounding the rock I mean, up until they got inside of the red zone. So it, maybe there was a, a thought process of continuing that, but it just seemed as though the Rams knew, I mean, if they just kind of buckled down and, and, and they sold out, to stop the run, they, they, they would be able to take some calculated risks and they were able to do that. Um, the second down play, which has uh, kind of been debated now, and I, I got some feedback, good feedback, uh, when it, you take a look at that second down call and in terms of the feedback from fans, but I think that was a read option play. So I don't know if that's a Greg Roman issue necessarily, um, but I would have liked to have seen maybe they work in on one of those situations. Maybe they work in some sort of a, a design with misdirection. Uh, I think the Rams uh, were able to, I mean, the Rams are trying to get up field. They're trying to blow these plays up. I mean, can you catch, could could you have caught them on the edges potentially? Uh, That's the only thing I could think of where, you know, they, I think running the ball straight ahead against that group when they're clearly uh, comfortable with being able to sell out 
and um, split the gaps and get into the backfield, I think they could have made an adjustment potentially there. And I think also you had, frankly speaking, aside from Greg Roman, uh, Tyler Huntley just missing some throws and making some big mistakes uh, that, that really hampered them, especially um, I think it was the third, the third down play. Um, so that was a big one too. So um, I, that was what I saw. I, I just thought they, they, they did kind of play it a little tighter um, in the red area, but um, no, I don't know what you guys uh, think otherwise if you saw some of the same things. Well, in the first series where they had a first and goal to go at the eight yard line, the first play was Devontae Freeman up the middle for one yard. The second play was a pass play, but it was a, he checked it down to Nick Boyle, who picked up two yards. And then the third play was the one he missed. I don't know how you don't account for Aaron Donald at all times, but they they didn't really account for him in this situation. Devin Duvernay was wide open for an easy, easy touchdown. And because Aaron Donald harassed Huntley, the uh, pass went awry, and it was Justin Tucker marching out right. for a 22-yard field goal. And yeah. this is the oh, sorry, Dave. No, go ahead, James. I was just going to say, and this is the thing that I, I felt with 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 their approach in the red zone was it was very much in keeping with what you would do in preparation. So, you know, obviously I look at all of this stuff in depth for battle plans, and and if I remember correctly, I believe the Rams in terms of red zone um, defense against the pass they are by far and away the most efficient in terms of DVOA team in the league, like by a distance. Um, they are ridiculously good at defending the pass in the red zone. So, and they're, I think they're a middling middle of the league in terms of the uh, defending the run in the red zone. So I think it was basically, it was, it was an approach dictated by the tendencies of the Rams, but then was maybe a little bit sort of, uh, sort of t- maybe a bit sort of tone deaf to the way the game was going and the way that it was going in the red zone to to keep with those with those kind of with those kind of play calls. The next time the Ravens made their way into the into a goal to go situation was in the fourth quarter. They score a touchdown there. You make it a two possession game, and they probably have a pretty good chance of winning the football game at that point. Cause I think that when, Je- yeah, when Justin Tucker kicked the 34 year old field goal, it was, there was only four minutes, 35 seconds left to go in the game. But just prior to that, they had a first and goal at the five yard line and Latavius Murray got the ball. It was a three yard run, which was his sixth consecutive run on that series. Then they handed the ball off again to him on the next play for his seventh consecutive carry. And that went for minus two yards, which then set up a third and goal situation from four. Now, on that second and two situation, I think you even made some commentary about this, Dev, that it was obvious that the Rams were selling out to stop the run in that second and goal from the two. And the Ravens were ill-equipped to really check out of that. They just ran the play. It was dead on arrival, and they lost two yards to set up the third and four. Right, exactly. So that was that was the play to me. I mean, the third down play is the one that we're going to scrutinize and, and get the delay of game. But it the Rams were so gung ho on 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 blowing that play up. They kind of knew that they were going to they were putting all their cards on the table for an inside run. Now that when I took a step back though, it does look like a read option play. So there's the mistake on Huntley, 
not reading that the right way. I thought Von Miller also played that that played pretty well because he basically hedged between the keep and the run and the dive play. So he kind of kept it uh, in between. He didn't uh, overcommit. But I think it's also it's a fair point or fair observation to say, do you t- just take a timeout right there or do you change the cadence of the snap? Uh, he's a young quarterback. So obviously how much is on his plate, but that's a huge, huge situation. That's the play to me, or that's the game to me right there is that at the two yard line, you got to punch it in somehow, or you got to come up with something there. So I feel like it's, it's, it may be a cop-out answer to say everybody screwed up on that, but yeah, I mean, at the minimum, just the look that the Rams gave, I think it showed that they were not going to let an inside dive play beat them at least. And it didn't work. Minus two sets up a third and four. And as you mentioned, Dev, they get a delay of game. You know, that's a a young quarterback in a a pressure situation in in a big game. I think you have to have your sideline resources ready to help him at all costs and in any way possible. I'm a little surprised that I didn't see John Harbaugh running down the sideline calling a timeout for his quarterback. Yeah, it's a fair point, uh, because if you think about it, and I know that's another debate point, like who is responsible for that? And, and again, you're at the point where the game, the game and the season's on the line. Uh, do you just have an extra um, trigger, extra quick trigger for your young quarterback? And, uh, you know, just again, I think that there was a few times in that game, guys, uh, I know you were pretty observant about it, that they let the clock get down to that point as well. So is that a Tyler Huntley thing where he's just not keeping track of, of the play clock? Um, it's just inexcusable is what it is at the end of the day. You can't have any of those things continuously happen. And especially because this was kind of the big, I think uh, you, you had a big spotlight on just the fact that Tyler Huntley can't get them punched. They can't punch them into the end zone. But when he started games for them, that's been the difference to me between him and Lamar. I think Lamar would have gotten them in the end zone on, on one of these plays or one of these series. You don't often see Harbaugh jump in in those situations. Like you very rarely, maybe earlier on in his career, but I don't remember times recently where you see him jump in and make a timeout for the, for the QB. He, he seems to, I, I think he's, you know, he's a coach that puts autonomy, gives autonomy to his coaches, but he also gives a lot of autonomy to his players. And whenever he talks about that, he always talks about it being the center and the, and the quarterbacks, um, responsibility and so it just feels like that he doesn't really get involved in that and maybe you're right Tim maybe they need to re- redress that over over the, the off season look at that and think is that something we want to do especially in a situation where we've got a young a young QB but it does seem like that's just not something he does um, I don't, correct me if I'm wrong guys but I don't remember a time when he's done that in, re- in recent past few and far between I've seen it maybe when he thinks that the quarterback's lost sense of the play clock. I think he's done that a couple of times with Lamar, but you're right. It's not like, it's not like Sean McVay runs down the sidelines and calls a timeout. Like he, he regularly does. It's not like Harbaugh is going to do that, but I just thought that given the situation, given the, the youthfulness of that quarterback, as Dev just indicated, the importance of the game, your season's on the line. I think it's all hands on deck. And, and, and I, I got to throw a flag at John Harbaugh for that because he's involved very much in the game. And I just thought that he, owed it to his quarterback to be somewhat helpful, and he just wasn't in that situation. But I do want to move on. I I want to talk a little bit about some of the opportunities that the Ravens left on the field. 
sometimes it looked to me, guys, like they had opportunities downfield to make some big chunk plays. The problem is the Ravens just didn't have any time. They uh, Huntley didn't have any time to set and throw. Most of the time when he connected on passes, he was flushed out of the pocket and throwing on the run. Sometimes the receivers were open and he missed them because he just seemed to struggle throwing on the run a little bit in that game. But there were a couple of situations I thought that were really interesting. And I'm surprised that Greg Roman didn't come back to it. And one situation was in, I forget the down and distance situation, but I think it was on a third down could have been a first down, but Huntley runs an RPO where Latavius Murray's on the field. He makes a good block. He's got a kickout block coming from his tight end, and Huntley runs for about 12 yards. I thought that was a really well-designed play, one-on-one, an easy read for the quarterback. And I'm from the school, guys, that if you run a play successfully, why not try it again and again and again until the other team figures out how to stop it. But we never saw that play again from the Ravens. Your thoughts on that, James? Yeah, it was interesting. They had, um, I thought they had a number of good, of, of really, really great design plays. Um, not just that one, but also there was the um, interception play was a really, was really nice play design to get Andrews open on the drag route in the way that they did. Um basically playing messing with the with the Rams pattern match principles and and ended up with with Andrews wide open and obviously Huntley chose chose the wrong option there I think that was just a kind of symptom of most of the game which is the same thing sort of you were, you were alluding to there Tony which is that Huntley just didn't just didn't quite look the same guy who he's looked over the last the last few weeks he was a bit more hesitant I think Raheem Morris did a good job of throwing some coverages at him that he didn't didn't haven't seen before taking away some of those um those quicker timing routes that he ha- that he's had you know um Ramsey was plastered to Bateman on on certain on some of those throws there was it, they did a good job of kind of slowing Huntley down there's there's enough of a book now on Huntley that teams are able to maybe look at some ways to start slowing him down and I thought Mar- Raheem Morris did a good job of that this week that's a really good point and you know when you look at a quarterback for the first time and and you see that he's had early success when there's more game tape available for other teams to manipulate and determine where his weak spots are, that's what you start to attack. Cause let's face it. The NFL is the survival of the fittest and it's all about taking advantage of another team's weaknesses more than they take advantage of yours. You know, I was like that the Rams interior pass rush may, uh, they didn't necessarily take over the game, but they made some critical plays and they showed up in critical moments and if you look at the game not having Bozeman did that play a factor with TCC in the lineup Cleveland making his second start got and you know he got taken to school on that one play the, the play which we talked talk, talk about earlier where Donald got quick pressure that was on Ben Cleveland um, and, and they missed the touchdown opportunity uh, to Duvernay so there were some moments and especially on the fr- I would say Von Miller had had a really good game if you look at that game because he really helped to flush, um, I would say, flush um, Huntley out enough and force the throws to the sidelines, which sometimes you can make those plays. And, and sometimes, you you know, in, in the game, in this particular game, Huntley, I don't think was able to execute that well. So collectively, I thought that the Rams pass rush uh, was good enough. I don't think they were necessarily dominant, but I think they made the plays they needed to make uh, when they needed to make them. 
Yeah, I was kind of disappointed from a player evaluation perspective, Deb, that we didn't get to see uh, Bozeman sort of, I know he wouldn't have taken on Aaron Donald um, a lot because Donald plays so much of the three technique, but it would have been interesting to see Bozeman in there sort of arranging that that interior offensive line with Bozeman and Zeitler. You have two really solid players inside who can sort of carry Cleveland to an extent, um, except if he gets isolated one-on-one. But with Cleveland and TCC in there, you then have Zeitler having to try and make up for for some of the challenges that that are inside of him. And and then then he starts to have his play drop, as we saw when he played for the Giants last season, when he had to try and cover all, all manner of sins. So you kind of got a it was a bit, it was really disappointing that Bozeman didn't play. It was the 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 game. He's been so durable all year. It was the kind of it was the game that you really needed him for. Um and it, it obviously unfortunately he wasn't well enough to play. Yeah, it's a game that he could have made a lot of money playing if he played well you know, cause he's a free agent coming up. So, but that's uh, to be determined down the road. I, I did want to mention another play that I really liked. You know, the play action is, is a, a friend to a team that's trying to keep a, an opposing pass rush at bay. If you're running successfully and the Ravens had a measure of success running the football. And, and I just didn't think they used play action enough to try to tame that pass rush that continually flushed. Huntley out of the pocket, but there was one particular play that they ran an RPO and I thought for sure the linemen were going to end up downfield and they would be called for that, but it was obviously a nicely designed play because the linemen didn't go downfield. It was made to look like an RPO handoff, a run, but he dropped back a step and threw the ball down the sidelines to a wide open Mark Andrews for like a 33 yard gain on the very same play. Marquise Brown was open on a skinny post for a touchdown, but he opted for Andrews instead. But you know, it's hard to complain about a 33 yard gain. I'm just, I'm surprised they didn't do more of that as well. I think the thing with that, Tony, that, um, that one of the reasons uh, speculating on one of the reasons why that might be, and, and uh, I, the, the way I, the things I would have done would have been the things you mentioned, which is the kind of the RPO game, even RPOs that aren't really RPOs are actually play fakes, but they're, but they look like RPOs. Right. Um, other th- have you there? Yeah, I'm still here. Okay. We lost. Um, yeah, oh, there he is. Oh, there he is. Hey, sorry, guys. <laughs> Don't know what happened there. Uh, can you still hear me? We can. So I, I think what I was saying was that basically, if you do too much with the with the play action, uh, the traditional play action against the Rams, Raheem Morris was was tasked with with keeping a, a, a modicum of similarity to the to Brandon Staley's defense that, that he coordinated with the Rams last se- last season, which is very much predicated on Vic Fangio's principles, which is show you the same cover to pre. Uh, pre-snap look and then turn it into any manner of things after that and that the, they aren't as aggressive in terms of the the shifts they make post-snap as they were under under Staley like um Morris has brought a more of a more of a kind of vanilla coverage um post-snap but they still do shift into different looks and so the problem is if you have a young QB turning his back to that defense. He looks at one thing pre-snap, turns his back to fake the handoff, turns around, and then he's looking at something entirely different um, once he's turned around. 
So it may have been a little bit to kind of protect Huntley uh, and and get him up, get him so that he gets into situations where he can where he can do well and he doesn't have to turn around and read something that that looks crazy from what he looked at before. You know, some other things that I didn't see much of, if any, in the game to try to get Huntley some time to set and throw is like moving the pocket. Even some of the, the boots and waggles that the Rams ex- execute on a regular basis, I think that those kinds of plays are ideally suited for Tyler Huntley's skill set. We don't see those kinds of things to help buy a quarterback some, pr- some time to throw and, and allow receivers to drag across the field and get open. So I'm just – do you think that there's a reason that they don't do that with Huntley and even Lamar Jackson? Yeah, I think if some of it gets back to – I think we talked about it a few weeks ago is how much of the install can you, uh, how much of the install uh, of the offense do you adjust? Um, how many things do you bring over? We talked about how the, um, the zone scheme kind of marries well with the boot action, which you, which you see with Minnesota, you see with Cleveland, you see with uh, teams like that. And I think they, they kind of get some of that stuff worked in, but I just have, I just don't think Roman has been able to um, kind of like just change that up fully each week or, or, or based on the opponent. But I could see the value of course, of having some of that uh, worked in. But uh, I think also James, you, you hit on a phenomenal point uh, a while back, which is that there's a complexity with this run game and the, and the calls to the run, the run calls. So I think some of um, these, these uh, boots and the waggles and like the, 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 motions of the moving of the pocket kind of connects to that. I don't know if you want to, you know, just re re explain that one because I thought you made a great point that it's not that simple to, I guess you'd have to kind of simplify the run plays and the run calls to marry some of this other stuff. Yeah, you you really do Dev. I think it's, it's, it just it just limits the play. It really it really has probably limited the playbook and limited the amount of things that they're able to do. And you know, even even with Lamar, they were they were reluctant to do some of these some some of the 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 waggles and the bootlegs. And so I I'm I'm not surprised to not see them with Huntley. It just feels like it's something that you're that you're just not able to install with a with a young quarterback that you weren't expecting to have to start. And so it just does feel. And I think it probably goes into some of the some of the issues with. With the um, with the play clock that we talked about earlier as well, you know, getting getting all the verbiage in um, from their from their run plays, it can be quite difficult. And with pre snap motion as well, so it's probably just that they have had a, a sort of a limited, a bit of a limited um, playbook to be able to work with. Guys, Mark Marquise Brown early in the season looked like a guy who was really on his way to having the best season of his career. And arguably the best season of any Ravens receiver in the team's history. But you know, he posted nine catches for 116 yards against the Vikings on November 7th. And up to that point, including that game, he was averaging 14.8 yards per catch. And even in that second half, he had seven catches for 103 yards. So he was on his way to really developing a rhythm in the league in, in this season. But since that time, Brown has yet to crack the 100-yard receiving day barrier, and he's dressed in seven games. He's caught 42 of 69 targets for 299 yards, zero TDs, averaging an anemic 7.1 yards per catch. Start with you, James. What's going on there? 
<laughs> so I think I think with Hollywood, what's what's happening is that the offense has changed dramatically. So you you wind the clock back in terms of looking at the stats. You you you'd see that you know earlier in the season the average depth of target that the Ravens had was was very high, and it's still high because of that average from earlier on in the earlier on in the season. But things have changed. This is a different offense under Huntley. They they're running a lot more. West Coast principles, they're getting the ball out quickly on time. And it's not really, it's not really Hollywood's game. You know, he's, he, he can do that and you can see that, but he's not going to, you know, his yards after the catch, there's been a lot written about it and he will get a lot of yards after the catch because of his, 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 you know, his explosive athletic ability, but he will also not get tons of yards after the catch. So the guy isn't, the guy isn't the best yak guy in the league. I also don't think he's the worst yak guy in the league as some people sometimes think. So that kind of offense doesn't always, doesn't always suit his game. So I think the offense has changed. The other thing I would say is that I do, when you watch the tape, Hollywood is still getting open. Like Bucky's Brown is still open. He's open downfield. He's also drawing a lot of coverage from Andrews. And so the one thing that you, you kind of have to look at is there are a few teams in the league that have a, a dominant, well over a thousand yard tight end and a thousand yard wide receiver. In fact, I think it's only Kelsey and Hill with the Chiefs. And Brown is very close now to a thousand yards. So he's a good friend to Mark Andrews. One of the reasons Mark Andrews is having the kind of season he's having is because people are respecting Hollywood Brown. You know, he put it on tape at the first half of the season and teams have adjusted to it and they're starting to take him away. And it's on him to kind of readjust his game and find to find new ways to get open um, because of that. And But he is getting open. It's just he's not getting targeted as frequently as he, as he was when Lamar was the quarterback. And I also think, like I said, he's 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 opening up things for Andrews an awful lot. So I, d- I, I don't necessarily see a huge drop off to his play. I see defenses treating him differently and I see our offense being different. So this brings me to a really difficult question. And I know you guys aren't the type just to pile on Greg Roman, because as we've seen and looking at all 22 film, there's a lot of plays that the Ravens quarterbacks have left on the field, well-designed plays. But then there are some other times where you look at your head and you start to scratch it saying, why are there two and three receivers in the same area? It makes it really easy for a, defen- a defensive team to cover those guys when they're all bunched together in the same area. So my question to you guys, and I'll start with you, Dev, is Greg Roman the guy to get the most out of Lamar? Because if the Ravens are going to pony up the kind of dollars it's going to take to keep Lamar long-term, they know they have to get a lot of production out of him. Are you convinced that Greg Roman's the guy to do that and allow the Ravens to get their money's worth out of a long-term deal from Lamar? I am am not. It's, uh, it's funny that you pose this question because it's one of the ones that I've been thinking about for a few weeks. Uh, I think it's come, it's coming up to the point where, when they go to Florida and I know they usually meet and I don't know if they're going to do all that this year, but I think Tony, you know, you're, you're more plugged in, but when they have their, their meetings, it's got to be a, a topic of discussion because as you pointed out, it's the, the connection is natural to Lamar Jackson's contract. It's natural to wh- how you view Lamar Jackson long-term. If you think that, Hey, we're about to, we're about to pony up 40 million plus annually right i think that's the bar if i'm not mistaken dak i think is, is that that contract's the bar 
starting out. Um, if you're about to do that and, and rearrange your entire roster construction philosophy, you're, you're trying to get you know a little bit more of an 80-20 roster construction build. Uh, it starts with Greg Roman. It, it, whether or not Roman, you, you could see Roman elevating Lamar or at least you know being able to take him and kind of help mold him into the passer that you would want him to become. I think there's no question we all know what Roman has been able to help Lamar do with the running game and just turning him into the most prolific dual threat guy there is. But long-term, four or five years from now, that's not going to make it, that's not going to be the way they win ball games. And so I think it's kind of similar to what happened with Cam Cameron to me. Cam was very good for Joe Flacco for that time. And they had to, graduate from cam to someone who could be a little bit more sophisticated i think with the, with being able to go beyond some of the stuff cam had called and i think they eventually found that with gary kubiak so i think the other thing that needs to be um accounted for guys is that lamar needs to say something or lamar needs to be brought in to this process if they ask lamar do you see greg as this guy i think um i i don't know what's going on behind the scenes but there has to be i think a mutual brain trust on this. Lamar, this is your show. This is your career. We want, we want to commit this amount of money to you, but do you see Roman being the guy for you to do that? And, and to me, I don't see it. I think there's limitations. I think there's the cap. I think there's a ceiling. And that's where I'm at with it. Well, talk I, about I, those limitations, though. That, and I'll, I'll ask James to do that. What, what are those limitations? What, and and I, I know where you're going with it, but I, for the benefit of our listeners, what do you think is the ceiling and why isn't he, and I guess you're, you're really alluding to Dev four or five years from now, you don't win ball games with Lamar quarterback the way you did in 2019. The legs aren't quite the same. He's not quite as fast. He doesn't want to take any more of those kinds of hits, et cetera, et cetera. So why is the passing game, the development of the passing game, why is there such a low ceiling as it relates to Greg Roman? Yeah, I, I, I think that, that you hit it, which is in the future, can you rely on Greg Roman's passing game? And, and history has shown that he is outstanding as a run, as a run designer, run game designer. And that, that part is not even a question. He's, he's the best in the, in the league. But, and, and James knows between the lines, we've talked about it so much offline, you could pick and choose plays that Greg Roman designed for the passing game. And they, and they work on film. And I think the fan base has this uh, idea that it's, it, you know, like you said, spacing issues are there or some of these things that come up, but it's kind of like there's sometimes cherry picking elements of that. But I think as a whole, I still think Greg Roman's roots are in the run game. He wants to pound the football. Like that is where he is the master of his domain, not, that, 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 that was a bad reference to use, but like the Seinfeld reference, I don't know why it came to my head, but yeah, I mean, that's where he is leading the master class, if you will. Um, if I think just getting, and then I'll let James take with, take this point on, um, is if you want Lamar to take that step, I just can't, I think, you know, you'd rather, if it's like in a, in a class and you want L Lamar to be good at mathematics or take advanced mathematics, then get the guy that's good at mathematics. You know what I mean? Like, that, that's the best example I can give. It's like, I think there's a cap because that's Roman's cap as a passing game guy. Yeah, I, I so I agree with you, Dan. And I think part, I agree wholeheartedly with you, especially the, the Cam Cameron point as well. It feels feels very similar. I think 
one of the things with the passing game is that Lamar, you know, has taken those steps. He he is a much better passer than he was when he came into the league. And so in Roman, you had the right driver for the car that Lamar was when uh, earlier on in his career. And I just think Lamar has developed now to the point where you probably need a different driver. You need somebody who can get the most out of this version of Lamar and, I don't think that's I don't think that's Greg Roman. The the thing I would say is that I'm I'm by no means a Greg Roman hater. Uh I I think he's an extremely good offensive coordinator. I think he has coordinated some historic run run offense, historically good run offenses. And I, I think the thing that we have to remember is that it's probably just time. Like, I, I don't think we can't look at this offense and say this isn't an, ineff- an inefficient offense. They've had some real struggles um, with personnel and they've still put out a really efficient offense compared to the rest of the league. So I'm not really sure we can turn around and say this is a bad offense and he deserves to get fired. Um, there have been some questionable play calls, but there have also been some games where he's called great games. So I don't think he's a bad offensive coordinator. I think it's just run its course. And it's time for maybe somebody else to come in and to do some things differently and to be creative. Like this is, like I said, this is a different version of Lamar. There are probably some things you can do with, with, with this version of Lamar that you couldn't do before. And that they, they're sort of scratching the surface of, of what you could of how you could put real stress on, on a defense. I, I would say just be careful what you wish for is the thing that's, that's difficult. I think it probably is now the right decision to move on try something new. He's been here a long time. And I, I think coordinators do go stale. Um, even the best coordinators go stale if they're a team for too long. So I do think it might be time, but let's just be careful what we wish for, because, you know, we've had, we've had some, you know, some great minds come through Baltimore that have been absolute train wrecks, you know, hell it's all, all remember the Mark Tressman year. Sounds like irreconcilable differences to me. We don't hate each other in this marriage. We just don't see things quite the same anymore. So it's time to move on. Now, if that does in fact happen where they move on from Greg Roman, because it's reached its, its saturation point, let's say, do you think that they can leave the good parts of the offense, the framework of the running game? And do they have the guys, the offensive minds in place to absorb that and then take it to that next level and move the ceiling higher Maybe it's a guy like James Urban or T. Martin or Keith Williams, or or maybe they need to go outside. Your thoughts on that, guys? Yeah, so it, it seems like they do have some in-house candidates, clearly. I think T. Martin and Keith Williams will never know how much of an impact they've had, but it seems as though they've had an impact on the passing game. They've certainly had an impact on the on the receiver play. So I, I think those guys would be a, a, a logical sort of choice. Th- there is this thing about Lamar... Um, you know, it takes a while for Lamar to trust someone and he he evidently trusts um, James Urban really implicitly. So that he's certainly going to be a candidate because of that. I, th- I think the one thing you've got to think, though, is that you can't necessarily ask a coordinator to come in and run the same kind of rushing offense that Greg Roman ran. I think you, you basically you want to get a guy who's you know, there could be a, you know, say you hire a McVeigh disciple who 
who runs outside, you know, when you look at McVeigh's offense, they, they run outside zone and they run a lot of stuff off the outside zones. So they run the exact same run action that they do when they run the outside zone, but actually it's, um, you know, it's a, a levels passing concept downfield. Um, and they get the ball to the sideline, but it looks exactly the same for the first two seconds after the snap as the outside zone run they ran just 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 previously. So the problem is you you don't. I really worry with with bringing in someone new and asking them to to sort of to keep some of the elements of an old offense that worked. You often end up keeping the wrong things, and you often end up identifying the wrong things that worked before and trying to replicate them going forward. Raheem Morris is a great example of it at the Rams, where that defense just isn't quite as good, isn't quite as potent as it was with Brandon Staley, because Brandon Staley ran his version of the defense, and they've asked Raheem Morris to do something similar and to not reinvent the wheel, and it's just not quite worked because it's not Raheem Morris's defense. So I would worry with that. I'd, I'd, I'd probably, if you're going to move, like let's move properly. Let's not try and do do evolution. I, I I would I would worry a little bit about that because I think you'd end up with with you know some of the bad bits of the of the Roman offense that that maybe you, you didn't anticipate on. They've definitely got in house candidates, but I'd I'd certainly be taking a look at some inventive play callers. There's got to be somebody out there who would be salivating at the prospect of building an offense around Lamar in the NFL that that could you know could really take take the Ravens the offense to the next level yeah James to that point I think you have to start with philosophically what do you want to become and I think that gets to what you're saying and I I just think they have to come to a consensus on what type of offense do they want to run do they want to run yeah I I personally think the Kubiak Shanahan offense would be a phenomenal um, marriage with what Lamar does in his skill set personally do you want to do that do you want to do a West Coast most principle? Do you want to do Air Coriel principles, which I think that's kind of what the Ravens have done. Uh, and I, I could be wrong, James, right? They still kind of incorporate some of that, but yeah. um, it, it's, it's a mishmash mish right now. Uh, but the point is, yeah, I think based on what type of offense you believe could really work well with Lamar long-term, I think that's how you identify who the uh, offensive coordinator should be. And then I agree with James on the trust front too, which is like in the in-house group. I mean, maybe it would be worth looking at how does Lamar feel about these guys. Um, and, and T Martin's interesting because he does have a, a offensive coordinator background. And so I think he's the one guy that maybe he could bring something to the table with his college background and some innovation, but those would be my, my, I guess, bullet points to take to the kind of the decision process of who would be that next guy. They've really got to use Harbour to get a get like use Harbour's strengths, that autonomy. You know, there's going to be a bright young mind that desperately wants to come and run an offense with the kind of autonomy that the Harbour gives them. So I think too often when they've gone with an offensive coordinator hiring, they've gone with an established guy, maybe a guy who was a head coach, who was, was an offensive coordinator, you know, an offense guy um, who maybe lost his job and brought him in and, and been satisfied with a former head coach because of that big personality that Harbour has and, and the autonomy he gives people. But go and give it to someone who's, you know, I remember them telling a story about John Harbour turning up for his head coach interview with, with like three ring binders of stuff about what he would do when he got to be a head coach, go and get the offensive coordinator that that brings in the three ring binders of what he would do with Lamar Jackson as an NFL quarterback. 
You know, I look at look at what these defenses are doing against Lamar and build a defense, build an offense around that. There's so many defenses that come here and run with heavy underneath zones. They run with cover one and cover three, and they just challenge Lamar to beat those those that 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 type because they know if they sit in zone, then they can start to slightly neutralize his his running threat. Build an offense to beat those kind of defenses, um, a passing offense to beat those kind of defenses. So I, I, you know, I, I feel like I want to. If they do move on, I want to see them go with with an exciting appointment. And maybe that is a T. Martin who who has those ideas, having been here for a year. But maybe it's also somebody else from outside the organization. So if T. Martin or James Urban or Keith Williams is listening, go get some three ring binders on Amazon. They're cheap right now, so you probably get a good deal on three of them at one time. You get a good deal on Boxing Day, Tony. <laughs> hey, guys, before we get into the shade that Wink Martindale throws on Saks, I want to remind everyone that we're brought to you in part by Rock Spring Financial. If you were looking to refi, buy a new home, vacation home, whatever the need is, Rock Spring can tailor a plan to fit your budget. And if you think you've missed the window with low interest rates, you're wrong. Rates are as low as they've been. Check out rockspringfinancial.com today. Or call them at 443-801-6389. Again, that number, 443-801-6389. If you do it by Friday, January 7th, they will pay for your appraisal. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the defense, guys. And I thought they held up pretty well against the Rams. That's a formidable offense. And as we know, the Ravens are shorthanded in the defensive secondary, although the guys that they got back I thought played pretty decently. Chuck Clark had the game of his career. I can't remember a better one. He was really on point. It was playing a little bit of a robber role there at times and, and did quite well. But I, I, it always seems to come back in crunch time, guys, that the Ravens' inability to pressure the quarterback comes back to bite them. And they and the other team just matriculates the ball down the field and they get the winning score. We've seen this time and time again. I guess it really started back – when Tom Brady, when the Ravens had two two touchdown leads in that divisional playoff game in New England, they came back to beat the Ravens just because the Ravens just couldn't stop the other team in, in crunch situations. And, and it seems like fans often talk about the lack of pre- pressure during those times. But we always want more. But, but your thoughts on, on this development, which seems to be a regular pattern, and I don't know if you guys are like me, but when the Ravens – Kicked that field goal. They were up by what? Five points. I was saying all these guys need to do is score a touchdown to win this game. And I think that's what they're going to do. And pretty much that's how it happened. I think it. So my, my thoughts on this game specifically was I thought this was a, a just a masterful defensive performance from the Ravens. This is a this is a unit that has had some struggles this year. I feel like they've got good in stretches um, when they've been able to kind of adjust to the to the players that have been missing. We know we've lost players in kind of clusters at both at the start of the season and through the middle of the season. And Wink kind of adjusts, takes him a couple of games, and then they get on a roll for a few games and then they lose another cluster of players. And I think the this, the problems that they've had recently down the stretch of, of, you know, losing these tight games with just giving up stuff is just that they've they've run out of steam. They've run out of um, ways to disguise the fact that they're missing a lot of personnel. And what I thought in this game was that 
they 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 ran exactly I, I wrote about it in battle plans and it, it's great when i get something right from battle plans it feels like a golf shot i've said it before and i, I think I, I i sort of hit it and it was probably pretty obvious from watching the how the rams play um if you watch the all 22 it's that they that you know they they've married this jared goff like offense uh with the play action and the pre-snap motion which they sort of abandoned early in the season with the shotgun offense that they brought in with Matt Stafford. And so they've married the two together and it's kind of, it's meant that teams have really like McVay's scheme is quite simple at times. And with adding these couple of these extra dimensions to it, it's, it's given defenses problems, but because the Ravens are so good at stopping the run, the play action was difficult because they weren't running the ball well. And what they did with Stafford was what you should do against that shotgun offense, which is just make him beat you, make make him take what you give him, make him beat you underneath. Uh, and he won't do it because eventually he'll get impatient and he'll chuck one downfield into double, triple coverage because he is that type of gunslinger. And if you come up with enough, you know, if you, if you do well enough, you come up with some interceptions and, and you, you change the face of the game. And that's exactly what the Ravens did. They did such a great job, even down personnel doing that. But what happened towards the end of the, end of the game was they just ran out of ways to, to hide the fact that this is a severely depleted unit and, and ended up losing the game. Yeah, and I think the, the macro view here is, and I agree with James in terms of how Wake called the game. Had he had uh, Peters or Humphrey, I think they make that stop on the fourth down. Uh, but, but that's, you know, that's not the case, right? He's got the guys he's got. And Tony, I understand your point, which is like overall they've had these breakdowns at the end of games. And it's interesting, I, I, and I'm, I don't want to tip my – my cards too too much because I'm working on a piece to end the year about the defense and my my thoughts is and Tony we kind of touched on it in the last podcast which I think that they're at the point where they need to really um, make some changes into the personnel group and naturally speaking I think some of the older guys I think are going to get phased out because of contracts and and whatnot and I think one of the guys that's really a, a kind of a conundrum for me is Calais Campbell because I think when they brought him in last year they already had identified of course that they needed an interior pass rushing force. It's not that they didn't identify that problem. I think they did. It's just that I think Campbell's been good. I don't think he's been that guy that he was at the peak of his career. And they might've just gotten him a couple of years too late. So the question is, is, you know, can you, this, this off season, can you just go out and, and kind of, um, and add some juice to that interior pass rush? Cause I think that's really that and just getting guys back healthy, you get Peters back healthy, you get your guys back healthy. And I think this defense will be back to a top 10 group. And I think with always development as well, if you can um, maybe bring back Justin Houston, I think they have the, I think they're close. And I think the injuries really are more of the problem overall than wink per se. I think wink's philosophies, there's times that it drives me bananas. And, and I, I, but I do think to James's point, he has also adjusted nicely this year in certain games where they didn't uh, blitz as much and didn't rely on the blitz as much. And they didn't against the Rams, they didn't against the Packers, and they did not do it against the Chiefs as well. And you have to look at that as well. You know, the pressure is the thing that seems to be in the crawl of most fans or lack thereof. And there are times, and I know you've touched upon this in the past, Dev, there are times when they run these clever little stunts that they get a free pass at the quarterback, and then you wonder where it goes the rest of the game. You know, you you used to have guys like McPhee that would do the dirty work to free up other guys. But with always athleticism, 
and speed, you would think that they would do more stunting and use a guy, a defender, to potentially take out two offensive blockers and free up Owe for, you know, a free pass at the quarterback. Yeah, they alluded to do, to that, and I think we saw the examples of um, free runner opportunities for Oway to cash in on. And then at times, like you said, they don't they don't run it as consistently. And is that a byproduct of not having everybody playing at once? Derek Wolf, we talked about, was a huge blow uh, to them because he was a guy that set up guy for them. McPhee missed a lot of time this year because he's another set up guy. So is it just a matter of not having all your pieces together at once? I think that's a valid. Um, thing to look at. I think the other thing is, but I also think though, on the other side, um, I remember back to Rex's defenses and granted he had Suggs and Nada, so it's kind of tough to compare all the way, but just think that you saw Rex use a lot of those line games and, and, and that really worked well. And I think just in terms of not, at times not bringing numbers, manufacturing more four and five man pressure, and I think they're a little bit more successful under Rex. But James, I would love to hear your your thoughts on all that. Yeah, I, I think I think I think you're right. I think that they that the, specifically the the games and stunts. There've been there've been some games where Wink has put a specific moratorium on games and stunts because games and stunts are called are you know they can be called by the play caller, but they can also be called by the the lineman. Um, in play when they see something they can they can call it and actually one thing you saw was um you saw this week with the rams they're great proponents of this and you saw a couple of uh, a couple of times when they when they really wreaked havoc on the interior of the ravens um offensive line by running those things so and i i think you know some of the personnel that the ravens have now like you've hit on with with oway just really lends itself very well to that kind of approach and so it'd be interesting to see I don't know what his philosophy is. I, I wish someone would ask him the question about it because, you know, like I said, we've seen games this year where they've been none at all, which means that he has specifically banned them. Um, because like I said, sometimes defensive linemen can call them in get in, in play. So he specifically banned them in some games. So it'd be really interesting to see what his philosophy is. Maybe it's just that he, you know, he he calls what he calls and, and he wants those those plays called up, you know, the the blitzes, the simulated pressures. Um, and and games and stunts kind of mess with those a little bit. So maybe he doesn't just doesn't want players with the autonomy to do that. But it'd be it's an interesting shift to make, especially when you when you look at the personnel, especially if they get younger on that defensive line. But with Madabike and Owe and these type of young um, sort of twitchy guys on the defensive line, it might be something to look at. Yeah, and line, one one last thing I thought of James and line stunts do leave you vulnerable to being run on with the draws and, and runs like that. But I mean, back, that's back in the day. That's back when teams actually ran the ball on third down. Right. So I, I, I don't, I don't think that is, is as much of a threat uh, in obvious passing situations, at least. You know, Wink has admitted that he doesn't put a lot of stock in sex. And, you know, I, I thought about that. I thought it was an interesting comment and I'm going to read what he said to the, in an interview with the Baltimore sun in a second, but, he just seems to think that it's an overrated stat. And I was taken a little bit aback by that because my first thought was, well, maybe he's just saying that to protect his guys because he knows his guys aren't getting home and they're, you know, what, 19th or 20th in the league in sacks, et cetera, et cetera. I didn't want to uh, publicly embarrass them. But I, I started to do a little digging, but I wanted to read his quote first. He said, it's one of those things that if you were asking me if you're the owner of a team and I'm your head coach, 
and it comes down to what do you want. I want as many cover corners as you can have. And he continues by saying, because the game is the passing game now, I think sacks, we're talking philosophical now, this is my opinion on it. I think sacks are one of the most superficial rankings there is. So I decided to take a look at the top 10 teams in sacks and to see how they're performing as a defense. And I ask you guys to stay with me for a second. The top, of the top 10 teams in sacks, only four are locks to punch a playoff ticket. The Rams, the Bucks, the Bengals, and the Titans. The other teams are the Steelers, Bears, Dolphins, Vikings, Saints, and 49ers. A couple of those have a, a shot at making the playoffs, but only four of them are locks. So then I looked at some other statistical categories to see if there was any correlation between sacks and a good defense. And of the top 10 teams that have given up the fewest yards per game, because let's, you know, the league always seems to measure the ranked defenses in terms of the yards they give up. Only three, the 49ers, Bears, and Saints, are also among the top 10 in sacks. So seven teams that are top 10 and giving up the fewest yards do not finish in the top 10 in sacks. And the top-ranked defense in yards per game allowed is that of the Bills at 286.5 yards per game. Ironically, the Bills are tied with the Ravens at 19th in sacks with 33. The second-ranked team in yards is the Panthers, and the third-ranked team is the Patriots. And those two teams have 38 and 35 sacks, not many more than the Ravens, and neither are among the top 10 sacks. So that made me think, okay, so yardage and sacks don't really correlate. Maybe the top sack defenses make big plays that prevent scoring. So of the top 10 scoring defenses, just three are also in the top 10 in sacks. Those are the Saints, the Titans, and Tampa. The best scoring defense are the Patriots and Bills, again, both with sack totals comparable to the Ravens. So then I thought, well, maybe turnovers are the key and and if it is, that does speak to Wink's comments about having cover corners. So get this. Of the teams with the best 10 turnover margins, seven are locks for the playoffs. And of those teams, only one is in the top 10 of sacks. Of the teams ranked in the top 10 in takeaways per game, nine are playoff locks. Only two are on the top 10 list of sacks. So I don't think Wink was blowing smoke. I think that there's some validity to the things he was saying. And you just have to have discipline on all levels of the defense. It's not like you can't pressure or shouldn't pressure the quarterback, but it doesn't necessarily mean that taking down the quarterback for sacks is a surefire way of having a successful defense. Your thoughts on all that? Yeah, that's a lot to unpack. Tony. <laughs> yeah, I know. But... <laughs> I, th- I thought, so, so you, you illustrated, you illustrate so well there that the, so that, you know, there's, I'm not a data guy, but the, the, there is a, um, like a strong data argument to say that sacks are, are kind of, they're the product of, of luck in a lot of ways. They're not, it's not a repeatable number because, you know, we see it all the time. You know, you might get a sack, because the the quarterback sets his depth too too far back, um, and you can get around the offensive tackle. You might get a sack because um, 
two guys have rushed really well on the on the outside. They've they forced the quarterback to step up and he just kind of falls into your arms as a as an interior defensive lineman. Sacks are just not they're not really a great measure of the value of a defensive lineman's pass rush because they're so you know so changeable from year to year. The, the, the guys who get consistently get a lot of sacks, then then obviously there's something there. But usually those are the guys that are also getting hurries, they're getting hits. And so their pressure rate is really high as well. So pressure rate is the thing to look at. That's the thing that's repeatable. That's the thing that we can hang our hat on. And it's interesting then to think about it from a team team construction perspective, which, which is the lens you really, really eloquently put on it, Tony which is that this is maybe not something to, to prioritize. In, in, and that's why Adafi Owe was the pick last year. And that's why there might be a corner that's the first round pick this next year, because that is the way the Ravens are choosing to build their team. It's through their through their coverage, through their back end. And they're going to continue to do that. They've done it for the last few years. And they'll, I think they will continue to. It it's de- it's definitely is something to, to look on. They're a very smart analytical team. And I, th- I think Wink is just sort of, uh, you know, their coaching staff is an extension of that. It's not just Harbaugh who embraces the analytics. I think the rest of them do too. And and this is one where where Wink has embraced it and said, you know what, I you know I can see I can see the argument like you've just shown. Well, and and also, which team would you guys say that the Ravens modeled themselves after the most? I know the Steelers are their biggest rival, but it's the Patriots, in my opinion. Just looking at the roster construction and the philosophies, a lot of it is rooted in the Patriots. And if you look at the Patriots for years and years and years, they didn't have the top sack guys. I mean, between Willie McGinnis and some of the guys that came through that group. I mean, I know they had Chandler Jones for a spell, but I don't think Chandler, jo- Chandler Jones has reached the heights he's reached in Arizona with the sack totals. Um, it's just not part of their philosophy. Their philosophy is rooted in, in their secondary. If you look at the corners, they had a hall of famer and, and Ty Law, they've had Darrell Rivas, who's another Hall of Famer. So they, and this time, I mean, I know, Tony, you listed all these teams. And in my head, the Patriots have got to be in that group of teams that are, are very good defensively, but don't necessarily lead in sacks. I, I could be wrong, but just thinking through also the, the philosophy of that secondary that has been embraced by New England, New England's not defensively going to have all the uh, statistics necessarily or give or take, right? Like, but in, in the sack department, I don't think they've always shown up yet. They still field a winning team and a championship caliber defense every single year for the most part. So that's just one example where I think it's not just wink. I, I mean, a Clark, uh, Miami is another team and, and not coincidentally, Miami follows New England's philosophy um, with Brian Flores. So it, there's something to it is that ultimately the two big categories you have to worry about, and I'm just going to wrap on this, is that it's red zone defense and it's third down defense. Those are the two biggest scoring is the, is the third. And usually when you're good in those three areas, you're usually uh, a good team. And, and, and you mentioned tur- turnovers as well, Tony, which, as we know, in 2019, that didn't come from having a lot of sacks. That came from having aggressive cornerbacks and, and being able to force um, a lot of pressures. The, the other thing as well, just to add, Dev, um, um the two games this year where the Ravens defense performed the worst, or at least was beaten, beaten as the, the baddest they've been beaten this season were the two Bengals games. And in both Bengals games, they had Burrow on the run. Like he, he was under pressure 
Um, go back and watch the first game. They had him under pressure a lot, and um, especially early on, but he still picked them off. And the reason he picked them off was because he has T. Higgins, he has Tyler Boyd, and he has Jamar Chase. And so the Ravens have to match up with that now. So they have to they have to strengthen again in the defensive backfield. And the way to to do that, Burrow is extremely good against pressure. He's extremely good escaping the that, the pressure in the pocket, and he's extremely good at, at getting it to his receivers when he faces that pressure. So the pressure sacks is not necessarily the way to the way to um, the way to get to, to you know the way to take down a team like Cincinnati. You're going to have to cover their guys when they've got all these these special receivers that they've got now in in their receiving core. James, that's a really great point because let's face it, going forward in the AFC North, the team to beat is going to be Cincinnati. You've got Ben Roethlisberger who's playing his last game on Sunday. At least we think that's his last game. They don't really have a successor plan as of now, and they don't have much cap space to get a big player, but you know, things can change between now and the start of the 2022 season. And then you look at Cleveland, Cleveland's got a tough situation because they've got an underperforming Baker Mayfield. Who's also like Lamar in a contract year. And they've got all the talent in the world on that team. They still haven't been able to put it together. So the team to beat is, is going to be the Bengals going forward. And with those three receivers in Burrow, you know they're going to be probably adding to their offensive line going forward, which makes them even more unstoppable and harder to take down Burrow. So you've got to win your division first, and I, I agree with you. I think the resources that they're going to invest in the draft and maybe even free agency is to have better defensive coverage in, in the backfield. And uh, whether that's a rangy safety, whether that's another corner, whether they bring back Peters, we know Humphrey's coming back. All those things are in play, but I, I do believe that you hit the nail on the head with that, that they're going to be – building their defense to improve their defense to take down the Cincinnati Bengals. So we've got the Steelers game coming up and I wanted to talk about that a little bit, just as we said at the beginning of the show, we wanted to talk a little bit more about what's changed since the last time the Ravens saw them both offensively and defensively. But did you guys know that cheap trick is going to be playing at halftime? Yeah, I saw that on the news. So I think somebody joked about the fact that uh, nobody knows who Cheap Trick is at, at the game, the, the young crowd at least. I know, uh, uh, you know, there's plenty of folks that are kind of come to the game, though, that do know who Cheap Trick is. Those dudes are older than me. <laughs> I just hope they don't sing Surrender because that's probably the, my favorite song of theirs, but the, I hope they don't sing Surrender because that's, that's too much, that's too ominous. Totally. And I've had a nice eclectic mix of halftime performers, Flow Rider to start the year and Cheap Trick to end the year. So, yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm just I, glad I, I, that I'm glad that they didn't have the uh, lack of knowledge from around the league and had sticks play because they would have played Renegade and that would have played right into the Steelers' hands, right? Yes, absolutely. So, so let's talk about the Steelers game offensively and defensively. But I, I did want to ask you guys one question. It keeps coming up this week. On, on our forums and in different places on social media about this being Ben Roethlisberger's last game and should the Ravens honor him? So I, I put together a poll on Russell street report asking, should the Ravens salute Ben Roethlisberger during his final game? And if so, how, and the choices were absolutely not, no way, no how second choice was yes, but only a short and sweet PA announcement. The third one was, Sure, up on the video boards featuring a montage of the 61 times the Ravens sacked Ben. And the last, or the last two were, 
keep it classy, put Ben on the jumbo screen and give him a fond farewell when the when he's on the Steelers bench. And lastly, he's not really retiring. It's just another big Ben ruse. So which do you guys think got the most votes? I'm going to vote for the montage. Okay. Either the montage or the absolutely not, no way, no how. Yeah, I think that the uh, – I thought the montage would be clever, but keep it classy, got 49% of the vote, which I, I was glad to see, followed by the montage with 26%, absolutely no way, 17%. 5% went to only a short, sweet PA announcement, and the last one – only 3% believe that Ben's not really retiring. But, and then someone else wrote in and said, and I thought this was pretty clever. Since Suggs is going to be the legend of the game, send him out as an honorary captain and greet Ben Roethlisberger at midfield. I mean, that could get in Roethlisberger's head. I'm not sure that's, that's classy. That's like, <laughs> is this guy who, who, uh, who drove you into the ground a few times? <laughs> I, I think if, if we're going to keep it classy, but like, I'm not sure we need, I'm not sure that there needs to be a big presentation, uh, you know, on the field. Like this guy's a, this guy's an opposing QB, I, I, our biggest rivals. I, 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 keep it classy, but that means like statements after the game in the, in the locker room or at the in the press conference from players and coaches. I, I, I'm not, not sure anything else needs to be extended to this guy. Um, you know, yeah. I'm with you, James. I agree a hundred percent. I don't even know where this is coming from. Like when, when have, when has there been any sort of uh, like the Ravens have had guys retire and no, and nobody wanted to be classy with Ray, with Ray Lewis leaving. Denver had signs <laughs> talking about his retirement starts today. It's like, come on, like this is kind of, um, I don't know if this is like a new generation type of mentality, but yeah, I agree. Like after the game, if you want to recognize them, even at, at that point on the board, as people are leaving the game and walking out, if you want to say, well, it, you know, uh, it was great competing with Ben Roethlisberger, but this is a guy that's ripped your heart out. I mean, I remember the 2008 game uh, games where they, they, they got swept and they lost three games to the Steelers and he ripped their, their hearts out on that 90 yard drive. Uh, he ripped their hearts out again in 2010 in Pittsburgh in the playoffs. So I, I don't, I'm glad he's gone if anything. And I'm glad, you know, the Ravens are the ones that kind of started his career actually, uh, or actually his first, um, I guess, entry into a game was, was um, in 2003. So I think it is fitting that his last game is against the Ravens in that sense. And it's a nice, I think uh, synergy or like a bookend to his career. But other than that, I, I think you, I, you hit it on the head, James, for me. Well, it's interesting. Well, with regard to Ray Lewis and Ed Reed, Ed Reed didn't retire as a Raven, so he moved on. He went to the Jets and then – no, I'm sorry, the Texans and then the Jets before he eventually retired. And then with Ray, he just came out the at the – during the playoff run and said he was going to retire, so he never really had that kind of opportunity to have a league-wide tour. But all that said, it will be interesting to see what they end up doing. But more importantly, let's talk about what's new offensively with the Pittsburgh Steelers. What's changed, James – since the last time these two clubs met in terms of their offensive approach, if anything. Yeah, no, not a huge amount has changed. The, the, the thing I would say is that they, you know, they're, they're rushing offense 
has you know so their rushing offense has has you know has, has improved slightly and and they're able to to run the ball run the ball well but that's with with Najee Harris who who is a special back and is going to be very is going to be a headache for a, for a number of years uh, if he stays in Pittsburgh for a long time so that that is going to be a problem I, I think that the main thing with this offense is is to really stop you know, the, the guy they have to stop outside of Najee is Deontay Johnson. Deontay Johnson was a problem for them uh, in the Week 13 matchup, and and it's an even more of a problem this this time around because they don't have anybody that matches up that well with him apart from Averett, and Averett might not go. So they they have a bit of a problem just because of the skill set of Johnson, who can play outside, but then he's also you know got those those um inside skills those movement skills that you would you would expect to see from an inside guy and the ravens you know if Averett doesn't go westry and smith will be their starting corners you can bring Tavon young on him and that might be interesting but also the ravens don't trail guys so johnson's the real threat i think in this game to the ravens and i think they have to have i think needs most and i put it in this get in the in the battle plans for this game they have to find a way to um to match up with this guy and if it means trailing him with Tavon Young then trail him with Tavon Young I know it's something the Ravens just don't do but I think it's it's something that they have to consider in this game um and I think the other thing is you know just let's let's look at that the way we uh, the way the Ravens pressure Roethlisberger because the last time this happened they got extremely predictable and probably blitzed him a bit too much and he got into his groove and thought it, you know, rolled back the years a little bit towards the end of the game as he started to get a real feel for Wink's defense. Yeah, I agree with that part, James. I was just gonna, I was just thinking about that, and I remember we spoke about it in the battle plans leading up to that game, and we said you may have to pick your spots. And then it turned into, well, the Ravens uh, were blitz happy, and and I think Harbaugh actually wasn't too happy about it after the game. So I would be very surprised if they took that approach. Again, and I think the decimation of the corners and secondary is kind of forced Wink's hand, as I mentioned earlier, against the Packers, against Rodgers. He did not blitz that much. A lot of controlled pressures, if, if anything. Some, you know, some, I think they had some you know, three-man rushes and, and, and mixed those in. And then uh, against the Rams, same thing. You, you didn't see the blitz much at all. And two times that they called it, they got, they got beat. Uh, those are some really good designs, by the way, from Wink. I, I thought the slot corner – blitz from Seymour was was a thing of beauty and setting that up with the linebacker uh, taking on the guard and then just clearing the lane but it, you're gonna have to pick pick your spots very sparingly but force Ben to throw the ball underneath and just tackle well and I think you've got a good shot to limit this offense and I think they they, they, they already limit Harris anyway from running the ball well defensively the Steelers are probably not going to have to deal with Lamar Jackson, who did not practice today, we're recording on Wednesday evening. And that means it's probably going to be Tyler Huntley again this week to face the Steelers. He's going up a Steelers defense that has a hot T.J. Watt, who had four sacks on Monday night against Baker Mayfield. He's got 21 and a half on the season, and he's looking to break Michael Strahan's record set back, I believe, in 2001 of 22 and a half sacks. What's changed guys for the Steelers defensively since the last time the Ravens played them? So, so for me, Tony, defensively, the, the, the key is going to be, you know, they, they have managed to, to um, shore up their, 
their passing offense to an extent over the last four or five games. Uh, their passing defense, sorry, over the last four or five games. It's it's been an interesting run. They've managed to get some guys back, and they have, you know, they've they've not given up a whole load of of um of passing yards. But what they have done is given up a ton of rush yards to more zone up zone um, blocking schemes. Um, and those zone offenses, uh, you know, those zone run schemes have been really effective against them. And it's something that I kind of want to see the Ravens do a bit more in this game. It's just, for me, it just seems glaringly obvious that this defense really struggles against zone blocking schemes. And the Ravens, it isn't their MO. They, you know, they're, they're the one, one of, if not the heaviest gap man scheme attack, rushing attack in the league. And so it isn't what they do, but they can do it. It is part of that. They have that club in their bag, as every team does. Every team runs a, a, a sort of a combination of different of those different schemes, just to different extents. And the Ravens do have that club in their bag, and I just want them to dial it up this week because it just is something that the, that the that the Steelers have struggled with. The other thing to say is just looking back at that Week 13 game, what I saw actually was some some really good. Uh, passing concepts to beat some of those middle of the field close coverages that the Steelers run so often. They run a lot of cover one, cover three. Um, and I saw some really good, there's a um, an explanation of one particular play that they ran from a really heavy foot, from a heavy formation where they managed to run four verticals. One of the four verts was Pat Ricard running up the sideline. Uh, but it was it was four verts, and and they, it sort of played with the with the Steelers' pattern match principles, um, and they struggled to be able to account for a couple of guys. Now it didn't end up in a completion, but they had some of those interesting concepts called to beat those those coverages, and so I kind of want to see some of those repeated and 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 a bit more. But getting the ball out on time, doing what Huntley's done most of the most of the season, will will really help them to to negate some of that some of the the cover one cover three. Um, and, and like I said, I just want to see some zone runs. Let's get some zone runs in this week because this this defense struggles with it. Do you have anything to add? Yeah, just the, the, the zone runs and then also just get the ball out to, to James's point. That was a big problem in the last game. The Steelers blitzed a lot more than they normally do. And so they that's something where you've seen the Ravens, uh, even against the Rams, for example, like, the Rams brought some pressures, but they faced a stretch of teams where they just didn't see the blitz as much of a higher frequency, but the Steelers are capable of, of amping that up. And I would think they'll continue to do that um, with, with, with uh, either quarterback, frankly. So yeah, I think get the ball out and, and stay on schedule is a big one for me as well. All right, fellas. Well, that does it for today. I know we, are wrapping up a season. It's going to be a real, real long shot for us to have battle plans for a wild card game, guys. But if crazy things have happened, if the Indianapolis Colts fall to two and three in their last five outings against the Jacksonville Jaguars, then maybe we have a shot at talking about a wild card game. But that the first thing has to happen is the Ravens got to take care of business against the Steelers, get that bitter taste of a five game skit out of their mouths and not be swept by the Steelers for the second consecutive season because that both of those things weigh heavy on the Ravens in the offseason. And it's a long time before they get a, a chance at redemption. So, folks, that's our battle plans for today. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks also to our sponsors, Royal Farms and Rock Spring Financial. It's been fun to do these with you guys all season, and we'll be checking in with a, on a monthly basis during the offseason. We also have some plans to cover the draft in a Ravens-centric kind of way, so stay tuned for that. On behalf of James, Dev, and all of us at Russell Street Report, thanks again for your support. It means so much, and we hope 
you have a new year that exceeds your wildest expectations. Beginning, of course, with the Baltimore Ravens. We'll talk again soon. Thanks again.